seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Lucy Letby is accused of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of ten others. While she was working on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital. Letby denies all of the charges over the incidents. Lucy Letby was the only person working on the night shift. It was alleged in court that their mother was apparently told by Miss Letby, trust me, I'm a nurse. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of crimes, the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven children and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. In total, there are 22 charges, all of which she denies. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for The Mail. I'll be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week on this podcast, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is The Trial of Lucy Letby. Welcome to episode six of The Trial of Lucy Letby, where we get behind the headlines of this case and bring you the detail the jury are hearing in this Manchester court. The case against Lucy Letby is that she killed or harmed 17 babies while she was working as a neonatal nurse at the Countess of Chester Hospital in the northwest of England. She denies the charges. The babies in this trial are not being named for legal reasons, and the identities of their families are also being protected. They're known only as babies A to Q. The prosecution case is that each one of these babies was attacked when they were being cared for in the special care baby unit, by the very person whose job it was to look after them. We're bringing you the detail of this court case as the jury is hearing it, from the prosecution and the defence. We won't be able to bring you every detail. And as we heard when we spoke to media law expert David Banks back in episode one, the importance of a fair trial is absolutely paramount. So we won't be explaining anything in this podcast that the jury have not been told, because they are the 12 people who have to decide the outcome of this case. Every one of these babies was or is someone's son or daughter and the mums, dads and families of every baby are present in court listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. Some of the detail is distressing and in this episode we'll outline testimony from the parents. Welcome to episode 6, Baby D. 
Baby D was a baby girl. She's the only baby in this case who was not born prematurely. She actually weighed a healthy £6.14 ounces when she was born, and the court has heard that she should never have even been in the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital. She was only there because the hospital made a mistake. Her mother's waters broke more than two days before she was delivered, but the hospital didn't give her antibiotics, and baby D was actually born with a suspected infection. Now, this is less than a week after the death of baby C and a fortnight after the death of baby A. The jury have been told that baby D's mother had a pretty smooth pregnancy, but the issues began when her waters broke in the middle of the night at one day short of 37 weeks. That's the stage of pregnancy that's considered full term. She rang the hospital and was told to come in later that morning. But when she and her husband went into the Countess maternity unit, her contractions hadn't really started, so she was sent home again. And I think she went home, Liz, for 24 hours and went back the next day, but again, things had not progressed. Yes, yeah, so at this point, doctors decided to try and induce her. The mother told staff she was worried about infection, but they reassured her that everything was fine. And Liz, why was she so concerned about an infection? So once a mother's waters break, and doctors sometimes refer to this as the membranes going, there is a risk that the baby or the mother can pick up an infection if there's a delay in the baby being born. The court heard that baby D's mother should have been given antibiotics as a matter of course, because that was hospital protocol for a woman who went into labour before 37 weeks, or prematurely, which she technically did by one day. But these weren't given, and the jurors have been told that this was an error on the hospital's part. And it was actually 60 hours after those waters had broken that baby D was born. Doctors initially wanted her to have a natural delivery, but eventually they realised an emergency C-section was needed. And I think from the minute she was born, mum was really quite worried. Yes, and she gave evidence in court and told the jury that although the doctors said baby D was in a good condition at birth, she just wasn't convinced. She said that when the doctor who delivered her daughter held her above the sheet in the operating theatre for her to see, she appeared not alive. She said she seemed lifeless. She didn't scream. There was no sound and everything was quiet in the room. They brought her to me, but very quickly took her back because they were concerned. It seemed a bit rushed. They took her back pretty quickly. And just 12 minutes after being delivered, the baby actually collapsed and went floppy in her father's arms. She needed a few rescue breaths of oxygen and she did recover. But Liz, her parents were really worried because she wasn't interested in feeding either, was she? Yeah, that's right. Her mother told the court that the baby was grey and limp and struggling to breathe. She was examined by a doctor who initially said he thought she was fine but her mother pushed for a second opinion and eventually, when she was a few hours old, baby D was admitted to the neonatal unit with breathing problems. And I think it was soon after that that doctors told the parents that she needed to be intubated. Yeah, doctors were a bit concerned and explained to her parents that they needed to put a tube down her throat and put her on a ventilator so a machine could breathe for her. She was also given antibiotics because doctors suspected she might have sepsis, which is a serious infection. And I think her mum was, at this point, in quite a lot of pain after a caesarean section and a very long labour, and it was really difficult for her to even visit the baby. So the following day, Baby D's dad visited their daughter a few times on his own, 
and eventually his wife felt well enough to go and see her around 7pm that evening. And at 7 o'clock that night, when the parents first visited together, this was the first time as well the prosecution say Baby D's mother remembers seeing Lucy Letby. Lucy Letby was not Baby D's designated nurse. In fact, she was being looked after by another nurse called Caroline Oakley. Now, she was very experienced and had 20 years in the job. We've heard that ideally babies in intensive care should have one-to-one nursing, but on this particular night, the unit was very, very busy. Nurse Oakley had baby D in nursery one, but she also had another baby to look after in nursery two, which was the room opposite. And the jury have also heard that Lucy Letby had responsibility for three babies, two of which were in cots close to baby D in nursery one, and another child in another nursery nearby. Baby D's mum told the jury that when they got to nursery one that evening, Lucy Letby was the only nurse in the room. She described her as hovering around, but not doing much. She had a clipboard to take notes and was sort of looking at the machines, she said. I asked if everything was okay, and she said, yes, she's fine. But Baby D's mother said Lucy Letby was making her feel uncomfortable. She said... She could have just left us to it, but she stuck around. She was watching and looking over to us, and I asked my husband, can you tell her to go away or give us some privacy? Now, I think the defence dispute that this nurse was Lucy Letby because they say she came on duty later than seven o'clock that night. Yes, that's right, but when Ben Myers, Lucy Letby's barrister, asked Baby D's mother about this, she was pretty insistent it was Lucy Letby she had spoken to. Okay, so the parents spent some time with their daughter, who by then, the jury were told, was doing well. She'd been taken off the ventilator, but she still needed a bit of help with breathing, and that was via a mask over her nose and her mouth, which gently forced oxygen into her lungs. But Dr Elizabeth Newby, she was a consultant in charge, she said that she was stable. So her parents went back upstairs to rest. And I think Baby D's father was allowed to stay with his wife in a private room on the maternity ward. The couple went to rest on the ward, leaving their daughter in nursery one in the neonatal unit. And over the next few hours that night, it's alleged Lucy Letby tried to kill baby D three times, succeeding on her third attempt. Liz, what did the prosecution say happened in the early hours of June the 22nd? Well, it was around half past one in the morning when baby D stopped breathing for the first time. Her designated nurse, Nurse Oakley, had taken a break and had asked another nurse to keep an eye on Baby D. She hadn't been gone long, though, when she was called back to the unit. The alarms monitoring Baby D's heart rate and oxygen levels had sounded, and Lucy Letby and another nurse, Catherine Percival Calderbank, had asked Nurse Oakley to return quickly. They'd also called for the registrar on duty. That's a doctor called Dr Andrew Brunton to attend to see Baby D urgently. Both the doctor and the two nurses told the court they noticed the baby had an unusual red-brown rash on her body, on her tummy, on her arms and her legs. And Nurse Oakley gave evidence to the jury saying that she had never seen anything like it before. And Liz, listeners might remember this rash is significant because the prosecution say that doctors talked about an unusual rash on the bodies of babies A and B when they were allegedly attacked a fortnight before. 
Yes, the prosecution say this rash, which came and went within the space of a few minutes, was caused by air being injected into the bloodstream of the babies. This is what they allege Lucy Letby did when she attacked or killed them. So, to go back to Baby D, Dr Brunton, the registrar, and several nurses rushed to her cot and started treatment. They gave her a few rescue breaths with the Neopuff. That's a type of mask that the jury have heard is put over a baby's nose and mouth to give them oxygen quickly. Unfortunately, that worked, and she picked up pretty quickly. In fact, her heart rate and her breathing was back to normal, and the rash had disappeared within half an hour. But at 3am... Just over an hour later, she collapsed again, for the second time. Yes, Dr Brunton told the court that he remembered he was on the children's ward nearby when his pager went off. Nurses informed him that Baby D was crying, her oxygen levels had dropped and the rash had reappeared. They increased the amount of oxygen being given to her, and by the time Dr Brunton got to Nursery One, a few moments later, her breathing and heart rate were back to normal, and she didn't need any extra treatment. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So Liz, just to recap... Baby D collapsed twice, at 1.30 and then at 3am, but because she'd recovered, the parents weren't disturbed. Nurse Oakley said staff had planned to tell her parents about the incidents the next morning, but they left them sleeping because the daughter had recovered. An hour later, that all changed when Baby D collapsed again, and another more junior doctor, Dr Emily Thomas, now she told the court that she remembered Lucy Letby being the nurse who called for help and that she was upset. Dr Thomas said Lucy Letby said, this is my second baby that this has happened to. Yes, and this time baby D didn't respond at all, Caroline. The nurses began CPR, and a crash call was put out, and Dr Brunton came back quickly. He also tried to contact the consultant on call, Dr Newby. And at this point, Liz, nurses did go and get her parents to bring them to Nursery One because it was clear that their daughter was seriously ill. As we've heard, the parents had gone to rest a few hours earlier, but the next thing they knew, they were woken up in the middle of the night by a nurse in a panic. Baby D's mother explained what happened next to the court, and her words have been voiced here by an actor. She just said our daughter was very poorly, and you need to come down. We were fast asleep, so we didn't really know what was going on. The nurse helped me get into the wheelchair, and we rushed downstairs. Dr Brunton was holding her, trying to resuscitate. He was trying really hard. 
We were just standing there looking at her dying. Someone was holding a phone to his ear. He was quite agitated. And then Dr. Newby told him they had to let her go. He had to stop. She tapped him on the shoulder and said, You've got to let her go. He stopped massaging her and pronounced the time of her death, and I couldn't stay in the room anymore, so I asked my husband to take me away. And Liz, baby D was pronounced dead just before 4.30 in the morning on June the 22nd. The court heard that Dr Newby arrived at the hospital just after 4am to help Dr Brunton. And along with Lucy Letby and Caroline Oakley, they tried to get baby D's heart to restart. Over the course of the next 28 minutes, they gave her CPR and administered six doses of adrenaline. But they just did not get a response. And the prosecution case is that Lucy Letby caused her death by injecting air into her bloodstream. The jury have been told that she was the common denominator, that she was the one nurse on duty on nights over the previous fortnight when the prosecution say baby A and baby C died and baby B was attacked. And like on previous occasions, soon after she finished work on June the 22nd, after the death of baby D, Lucy Letby began WhatsApping her colleagues. It was only nine minutes after she clocked off work that day that Lucy Letby sent a message to another nurse, who the court has previously heard was her mentor at the hospital when she was doing her training. The messages have been voiced by actors and begin with Lucy Letby telling her friend, who we can't name for legal reasons, about her shift. We had such a rubbish night. Our job is just far too sad sometimes. No. What happened? We lost baby D. What? But she was improving. What happened? I can't believe you were on again. You are having such a tough time. Messed about a couple of times and came out in this weird rash looking like overwhelming sepsis, then collapsed and had full resus. So upsetting for everyone. Parents absolutely devastated. Dad screaming. Andrew Brunton and Liz Newby said it will probably be investigated. What? The delay in treatment? Just overall looking into the case and reviewing what antibiotics she was on, if it was sepsis. Dad is beside himself. Damn. Poor family. You okay? It's just been another shock for us all. I feel a bit numb this time. Oh, hon. You need a break. Sorry to moan to you. Not what you want to hear first thing. It's fine. I'd want to know. I was there when she came in. More importantly, I'm always here for you and it's not moaning. We have the shittest job in the world sometimes, and the best. Absolutely. On a day-to-day basis, it's an incredible job, with so many positives. But then sometimes I think, how is it such sick babies get through and others die so sudden and unexpectedly? Guess it's how it's meant to be. Yes, we can only do what's humanly possible. We're a good team that give excellent care. We just don't have magic wands. I know that. I think there is an element of fate involved. There's a reason for everything. You go to bed in a minute. You're an excellent nurse, Lucy. Don't forget it. I know, and I don't feel it's a failure as such, more that it's just very sad to know what families go through. And I think what Lucy Letby said to her friend there in the messages and what the doctors had predicted was right, wasn't it, Liz? There was an investigation by the hospital into whether anything had gone wrong before Baby D's death. Yes, a review was carried out into the care given to Baby D's mother and tests were taken of the placenta and her blood. 
Baby D's body was also sent to Alder Hay Hospital, the specialist children's hospital in Liverpool, for a post-mortem. It revealed that Baby D did have an infection, but it wasn't sepsis. In fact, she'd been born with pneumonia. The review also found that the hospital should have given Baby D's mother antibiotics when she was in labour. Despite this, though, Joanne Williams, the doctor who carried out the review, said neither the placenta or Baby D's mother showed any sign of infection in the hours after birth and she doubted whether a dose of antibiotics would have made a difference. And it's the prosecution case, isn't it, Liz, that although she had pneumonia, that isn't what killed Baby D. No, Dr Dowie Evans, the prosecution expert witness, who we've heard about in previous episodes, said that Baby D was actually recovering from the pneumonia when she died, and it wasn't the cause of her death. But this is contested by the defence, Liz, and we should stress that Lucy Letby denies harming any babies in her care. Yes, Mr Myers pointed to the results of blood tests taken in the hours before Baby D's death, which he said indicated that she was not a well child. He also suggested it had been a bad idea of Dr Brunton's to take her off the oxygen mask around an hour before her final collapse. Mr Myers said babies with pneumonia and breathing problems were vulnerable to collapse and sudden death. But Dr Evans disagreed with him. He insisted that she was getting better, had improved enough to be taken off a ventilator and only needed minimal breathing support. He said the only explanation for what happened to baby D was that someone tampered with her care by deliberately injecting air into her bloodstream. Liz, you've been in court for us again, sitting on the press benches, and someone else following the case closely is the court artist. Yeah, as you know, Caroline, cameras are not routinely allowed in a courtroom. The only person allowed to capture it visually is the court artist, and there are only a handful of these people working in the UK. The one covering this case is called Julia Quensler. Now, Julia has covered trials across the world And she was very kind and she took time away from her pastels to talk us through the job. I'm Julia Quensler. I'm an artist, primarily do portraits and courtroom drawings. So, Julia, you were in court on the first day of this trial like I was. Your images, your drawings would have been the ones that everyone saw the following day of the defendant Lucy Letby in every newspaper in the country. Well, I wasn't the only court artist, but yes. I believe you said to me that this wasn't the first time you'd actually drawn Lucy Letby. No, I drew her the very first time I saw Lucy Letby was when she was first charged and she appeared on a video link, but it was a dreadful video link in that she was sitting at a table with, I believe it was her solicitor, but they were so tiny, the figures were so tiny, so it was very difficult yeah, to get it. I think it. I remember that. They were tiny screen, but also, rather than going a little bit closer, you could see the whole sort of room, and then these two tiny figures at the table, which so it wasn't ideal. <laughs> and just explain a little bit about what you do, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. You sit in the press bench, don't you, along with the journalists? I, I sit in the press bench with a shorthand notebook. It's contempt of court in this country to sketch in court. It's a law that stood since... 1925. The same Contempt of Court Act, which says you cannot take a photograph in court, says you can't sketch in court. And it stood almost 100 years now. Mm. Prior to that, they did allow sketching and photography in court. So I'll take written notes 
So it's a combination of memorizing and written notes because I, I don't want to keep my head down writing. I like to, you know, look at the person or people that I'm drawing. It's important to not only get, hopefully, a, a good resemblance, but also body language, demeanor, all of that adds to it. So what do you write down? If it's someone I've never seen before, obviously I'm, I'm writing down features, hair, clothing, etc. But also I'm looking for the expression on the face, etc., etc. Uh, one time, 13 people entered the dock, one long, long line of defendants. Oh. And... Uh, <laughs> And this, they that's a, came that's in. called a multi-multi-hander, I think. <laughs> right, they came in, they filed in at about 10.30, and uh, I had to have the drawing ready in time for the one o'clock news. So that one was a real challenge. And <laughs> Do you feel that sense of responsibility to capture it accurately, oh, don't you, I ab- suppose? absolutely, and not to prejudge yeah. anything, not mm. to be influenced by the horror of the case. You really, you mustn't do that. You have to just representing uh, who's there but not what they've done or what they're accused of doing. So you do have to be very careful that you don't prejudice anything with the drawing. Uh, You were obviously there on the first day when this case opened. It's likely is that you'll be back probably for when she starts her defence case and then at the end when the verdict comes in. Yes, I'm sure I'll be back when the defence starts. I mean, this is a very long trial. Uh, They're not usually quite this long, so... You know, there are some trials where I might be there pretty much every day. Let's say it's a trial that lasts four weeks and um, it's not unheard of to be there almost every day. Are you affected by it, Julia? Yes, some trials do affect you, especially the ones that involved children being harmed. And also what drives me nuts sometimes also is when so many people had the opportunity to prevent it mm. and didn't. Mm didn't do what they should have done and that that I must admit drives me nuts <laughs> yeah you and the rest of the world yeah, I think. yeah exactly oh that was fascinating yeah. thank you so much thank you so much yeah yes uh, no uh, problem Now, we thought Julia's insights into the job of a court artist are so fascinating that we've decided to run the full interview with her as a special bonus episode. Check it out on Mail Plus. Next week, we'll hear about the death of baby E. A twin boy whose mother, the prosecution say, interrupted Lucy Letby when she was killing her son. She and her husband will be given evidence in person. I will be in court to hear what they have to say and you can read my daily reports in the mail and Don Mail Plus. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lucy Letby Trial or send us an email at thetrialoflucyletby at gmail.com. And we'll both be back next week with episode 7. See you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.